Good morning, church. We are in Genesis chapter 10 today. It is the table of nations. It is a section of uh, verses that a lot of pastors will never teach on a Sunday morning. And many pastors will just tie it into the preceding verses or maybe the following verses, read it over really quick, and then move on to another subject. Um, because it's just a list of names, and <clears throat> it's tedious. Or they're like, what can we pull out of this? However, one of the things that attracted me to Calvary just to begin with was how they taught. And when they taught, they taught through verse by verse and book by book. And when I sat down and listened to these people teach at different Calvary churches, I was like, oh, now this I like. This I understand. This is what attracts me to learn more about God's Word. And so when I come across sections like this, I have a hard time trying to skip them over, even though I feel like I should skip this over because this is going to be a real big pain in the butt. Um, but it's not. So I like teaching these sections. And so today I made it a little bit more multimedia than what I normally do. We have a lot of different names that we go over in this table of nations, these descendants of the sons of Noah, right? So it told us back in Genesis chapter nine, and it will tell us here in this chapter as well, that from the three sons of Noah came the nations as we know them today, right? So from Shem, Ham, and Japheth, right? From them, those three sons of Noah, the whole earth was dispersed. Dispersed means populated. It's often translated populated, though actually in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word is nephats, and it means to dash into pieces. It means to be scattered. It means to be shattered, which is a whole other discussion, right? That's a spiritual subtext concerning the sinful nature of man um, that we're actually not going to step into necessarily, uh, on purpose. Um, but really just a reference to the fact of how they were dispersed or scattered by God, which is really a reference to chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel, which this we're given this table of nations preceding that event, but these table of nations came about because of that event. Okay. Uh, so this is a list of the patriarchal, patriarchal, the fathers, the founders, of the 70 nations that are listed here in this chapter, which descended from Noah through his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the purpose of the chapter, of course, is to explain how the earth was repopulated after the flood and whose descendant repopulated where. There's 26 of the 70 nations that are listed here in this chapter. 26 of, the, of them come from Shem, 30 come from Ham, and 14 come from Japheth. Right? There's a similar list also in First Chronicles, if you want to go compare the two lists from Genesis 10 and the list in First Chronicles. And it's really more of an atlas than a genealogy. But that being said, uh, as it stands, it serves as both. All right? Now, not every important nation in biblical history is listed here. And not every nation in the world, of course, is listed here. As today, there are 195 nations. And there's only 70 listed here in this chapter. And it's difficult to identify all these nations, and it's difficult to give them modern names. Some are very easy to identify. Some probably don't even exist today, especially a lot of the, the Canaanites and such. And so throughout history, of course, we know nations change names and nations move locations. Our family, the Albertus line, we trace it back far enough. You know, they were in Germany, but that area today is now Poland. 
So, you know, nations change boundaries, nations change names, etc. So, but all that being said, here's one of the things you should know before we get started. The historical accuracy of the Bible is amazing. Right? Higher critics, leading authorities in archaeology, biblical theologians. One of the things that they all agree on concerning this chapter, chapter 10 of Genesis, is that is it a remarkably accurate historical document. Right? It stands absolutely alone. A quote by Dr. William Albright says, it stands absolutely alone in ancient literature without a remote parallel even among the Greeks, even among the Greek writings. Right? The Table of Nations remains an astonishingly accurate document. So that's to say that there has been no other ancient writing discovered by archaeologists to this day, which is at all comparable in scope and accuracy as to what we read here in chapter 10 of Genesis, as to what we read in God's word. That should be no surprise to any of us. So let's jump into this and read chapter 10 of Genesis. It says, these are the generations of the son of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ripeth, and Togarmah. The sons of Javan, or Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, Dodanim. And from these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and their nations. The sons of Ham were Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, and Sabteca. The sons of Ramah were Sheba and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, and the land of Shinar. And the land that he went, and from that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludum, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtuhim, Pathrusim, Kasluhim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtorim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the, the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem were Elam, Ashur, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram were Uz, Hol, Gether, and Mash. Arpachshad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber, and to Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Amaldad, Shelef, Hazarmaveth, Jera, Hadorim, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimeel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they live extended from Misha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies and their nations, and from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. 
Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for uh, just the fact that your spirit moves, even in verses like this, where we think we're just reading about, you know, genealogies and nations and the, and the foundations of the world as we know it today, but there's so much there. Because who defined the borders? And who created the nations? And who created the earth that put them on? That was all you. So we thank you for that, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. They say that when you study biblical genealogies in the Bible, biblical genealogies are usually abridged, which means key historical figures are included, well, lesser, maybe less significant, or, uh, you know, less culturally relevant, or, you know, whatever, less, those, type, those siblings are left out sometimes. And it is possible that that is the same here, in the table of nations, whoever wrote this list, right? And it wasn't, we don't think Moses wrote it. Um, and the reason we don't think Moses, well, there's a lot of reasons why we don't think Moses wrote it. It was probably written by one of the sons of Noah and possibly even Shem himself, because some of the cities that are listed here in the table of nations didn't even exist when Moses, right? So if Moses was putting this down, he, he wrote some stuff uh, just from historical records, Right? Well, like, like Sodom and Gomorrah, for example, and, and such. But um, that doesn't matter. But th- they may have focused their, this list on nations that were most significant to their own nation when they wrote the list. Right? The ones that were around them more or things like that. Well, neglecting maybe even the farther away, because there are ob- obviously farther away nations that you don't, we don't see mentioned here. Uh, or even long forgotten, you know, uh, nations that we don't know of. But that being said, what it shows is, is that every nation in the world is ultimately related to every other nation through the sons of Noah, right? And in that sense, through Adam and Eve, right? So it starts with Noah's sons. And uh, we have Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we're going to start with, of course, the first son it gives us is Japheth. Now, Japheth is always the last listed. It always says Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Whenever it lists Noah's sons. However, he wasn't the last born. We know that actually Ham was the last born. And then the debate on who was the first born, whether it was Japheth or Shem, has to do with how you translate verse 21 here in chapter 10. Um, <clears throat> I translate it to say that Shem was the elder brother, so Japheth was the second born. Some people translate it to say that Japheth was the elder brother, so Shem was the second. That, that doesn't matter, okay? It doesn't matter. But Japheth is always listed last, but they start here with Japheth, to talk about his sons. So, Japheth's sons. You can see the list. And uh, yes, I know, it's probably small, and maybe you can't see the list. But we have Gomer, and Magog, and Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshach, and Tyrus. Now, Gomer is identified with the Chimera, north of the Black Sea. Today it would be called Crimea. It sits just below the Ukraine. 
Some say he was the ancestor of the Sumerians as well. One of the things that you're going to find when you go through these lists, just to let you know ahead of the time, is that, of course, you know, all these descendants of the sons of Noah, when they spread out, they spread out into certain areas. And then they may have settled there for a while, and they may have, and some of their family may have stayed there. And then other parts of the family may have moved on and, and you know, went to other areas. So when they search historical records, try, you know, looking for who went where and who settled where, they find them in all kinds of different areas, which is why when you study it, someone will say, oh, he started this, or he lived here, and they're two completely (laughs) different parts of the map. Uh, That's more than likely because he may have gone over there and settled there for a while, and then he may have immigrated over here. And, you know, as he went along, left family members, and those families grew up in different areas, and they're all from him. So there's, you know, they find this, these references and these archaeological artifacts and stuff that point to these different nations or these different families because they moved. They didn't always stay in the same spot, right? So that's why, you know, they find them in different areas because Gomer has also uh, migrated up into Germany and uh, that area of Europe. Now, Magogs were the Scythians, And they were identified as the Scythians by Josephus in the historical records of Josephus, if you want to read that. And Madai was the uh, father of the Medes. They settled in Persia. They migrated to India as well. Javan is the Greeks. uh, Japheth and Javan. Japheth is considered the father of Gentiles. Uh, Javan, his name translated actually in Hebrew, is also... Uh, I believe, Greece. So, anyway. Javan is the Greeks. Tubal and Meshach, they believe that Meshach is actually an ancient name for Moscow. I'm not necessarily going to agree with that, but it doesn't mean it isn't. Okay, because again, people moved. Especially at the end of this section of sons, when it talks about them uh, being coastland, it says... um, from these, the coastland people spread their lands in their lands, each with his own language by their clans and in their nations. Moscow is not a coastland. There's not a lot of coastland up there by Moscow. But it doesn't mean that they didn't head up in that direction or that he didn't. And that doesn't mean that he wasn't an early settler of that area. doesn't mean that at all. Uh, and Tubal, also uh, possibly a Russian city today that called Tobolsk, but it's also possibly, uh, he also possibly settled over in the Iberian Peninsula. Again, it's all open for discussion. Uh, Tyrus is the Thracians, which were Indo-European-speaking people who inhabited large parts of Eastern and Southeastern Europe in ancient history. Thracians resided mainly in the Balkans, uh, but were also located in Asia Minor and other locations in Eastern Europe. Now, the one thing that I find about this specific list right here is its uh, future prophetic implications. And I, and, and I kind of touched on this last week, but what's really interesting about this and the blessings or curses that were given to the three sons of Noah <clears throat> is that Ham got the curse, Shem got the blessing, and Japheth's blessing basically is through Shem. Well, when you've been cursed, quote unquote, you know, you're gonna, you might hold a grudge and you might hold that grudge for a long time and all your descendants may hold that grudge etc., on down through the generations. This list that we see here, when you compare it to Ezekiel 38, for example, right, right, 
you have that prophecy of the of that the group of nations that come to attack Israel hasn't happened yet. Right? But in those nations that come to attack I- Israel, <clears throat> you have Gog, who comes from the land of Magog, um, who is chief prince of of Meshach and Tubal. All three of those names are right there. They're all descendants of, of Japheth. And then later on down in that list, you have uh, Persia and Cush and, and Put, and you have Gomer. And you also have Beth Togamah. So you have a combination of lands that are descendants from Japheth and Ham that get together, unite. They don't, you know, historically, they don't, haven't always gotten along. And for the most part, they may not have ever really been friends. But when it comes to attacking Israel, they're going to unite together and attack Israel. So you see a lot of those names right here in this list. And, it, and they're sons of Japheth. Now, you also have in these lists the grandsons uh, as well. Grandsons of Noah. Grandsons of or, uh these are the grandsons of Noah, but the grandsons of Japheth, the sons of Gomer. Now the sons of Gomer, we have Ashkenaz, Ripah, and Togamah. Togamah, again, is in that list in Ezekiel 38 about the coalition of nations that go to attack Israel. So Ashkenaz, just so you know, is Germany. Okay? The, the Jews identified Ashkenaz with Germany, and to this day, German Jews are called Ashkenazi. Right? So that's where that comes from. Right, Ripoth, Ripoth is possibly the, the Paphlagonians or the Carpathians, and Togarmah is the Armenians. Now you have the sons of Javan. Like I said, Javan in the Hebrew can also be translated Greece. Now, his sons are Elisha, and another form of the word Elisha is Hellas. And that's where you get, like, Hellenistic, okay, concerning Greek. Um, and then you also have Tarshish and Kittim, which is actually Cyprus, and you have Dodanim and Rodanim. So, uh, you can get either name depending on what translation you read. Um, so, like I said, Hellas is a derivative of the name Elisha. That's where the form Hellenist or Hellenistic comes from, which is applied to the Greek people. The name of the people from Elisha, like Elisha's people, we were referred to as the Eliasin people. And those people are referenced, actually, in Homer's Iliad, uh, if you were to read that book. Tarshish is uh, the, possibly the early settlers of Spain uh, and possibly North Africa. Like I said, Kittim is a reference to Cyprus. Dodanim uh, today is some cities in Turkey, like Dardanelles and, and Rhodes. Uh, and it says in verse 5 that from these, the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands. So overall, Japheth, or his son, Javan, are commonly referred to as the father of the Greeks, the ancestors of the Gentile nations. Right? The outer limits of civilization as far as the average Old Testament Jew was concerned. Right? They spread all over Europe, and they also headed into Persia and India. And, and it's from these descendants that the term Gentiles was applied. And if you were to put them on a map it would kind of look like this. Now, I don't have my glasses on, but in the midst of the names of the countries and uh, nations that you recognize, you have, I wrote in some of the other ones that come from the sons of Japheth, basically. 
You have Tarshish, you have Gomer, you have Ashkenaz, you have Tyrus, Dodanim, Togarmah, Javan, Medai, Persia. Uh, that's the area of Persia, which is Iran today. And then Medai is also down in India because he migrated down to India from Persia. When you get all those names on that map, it gets really confused. So, what do we have next? We have the sons of Ham. The sons of Ham were Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. These are really easy ones to place. Of all the descendants of Noah, these you don't have a lot of trouble with. Um, Cush is uh, Ethiopia. Egypt is Egypt, right? Also known as Mizraim. Put is Libya. And, of course, Canaan is the Canaanites. Now, the sons of Cush, or the grandsons of Ham, uh, were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, Sabteca, and, of course, Nimrod. Now, they list Nimrod later when you read through the chapter. I put them together on the same list. But uh, So those are the sons of Cush. And then you have the sons of Ramah, which, to me, is a very Egyptian name, uh, which is Sheba and Dedan. If you... Uh, Remember also from Ezekiel 38, Sheba and Dedan are listed. They're some of the countries who are watching the coalitions of nations, I believe, attack Israel. And they're like, hey, what are you doing? They're in Turkey. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Arabia. Yeah, Saudi Arabia. So, uh, so that's the sons of Arama. Matter of fact, Sheba and Dedan, I think they list them here because they were popular. Right? These two figures, these two nations, quote unquote, got listed because of their popularity. Matter of fact, they were so popular that later on, Abraham has two grandsons named after them, Sheba and Dedan. So later on in his life. But then we get to Nimrod, kind of like backing up, because he talks about the sons of Cush in verse 7, and then the sons of Ramah, and then he goes back to Cush again, who fathered Nimrod. Now, Nimrod's name means let us rebel. And we'll talk a bit more about Nimrod as we get into the Tower of Babel. But, right, Nimrod, as it references here in these verses, was a mighty one uh, on the earth. Now, that's not necessarily the correct translation, or it doesn't necessarily give you the correct impression of who Nimrod was. Uh, but he, these are the cities that Nimrod founded. Pretty much all these cities are in Iraq. That's where they are. And he founded Babel, which is Babylon, Erech, Asid, Kalna, Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kala, and Rezin. Babel means confusion, right? So Nimrod, <laughs> whose name means uh, let us rebel, Right, so Nimrod the rebel starts the city of confusion. Right, the kingdom of confusion. He wasn't a good guy. He was not a good guy. I know how it reads. We can read it as, "Oh, he was the first great mighty hunter on the earth," but it was what he hunted that was the problem. Uh, he was he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, but that's not a compliment. Right, that's not a compliment in these verses. Nimrod may have hunted animals, but really, what he really hunted was man. He was a warrior, right? a warrior whose great success tempted men to trust in their own abilities and their own prowess and less in God. So Nimrod used his power and his rule as a tyrant 
to violently oppress the people. And on this is the kingdoms he built. Babylon, Nineveh. Nineveh was really known. I mean, they're both known for it. But there's a reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, right? So Nimrod, as Chuck Smith taught it, for example, uh, was a mighty tyrant in the face of the Lord, right? There's a lot of interesting legends concerning Nimrod and the Babylonian religious system. We've gone through some of them when we taught through the book of Revelation. Um, As a religious system, Babylon came into being long before Christianity, even before the nation Israel had even come into being yet. Um, According to religious history and legend, the Babylonian religion was founded by the wife of Nimrod named Semiramis. And she was a high priestess of idol worship. And you can find temples to Semiramis in many of the cities that Nimrod built. And strangely enough, she gave birth to a son, Tammuz, who she claimed was conceived miraculously by a beam of light. And uh, there's many ancient artifacts from these cities and from this area that show the motif of the mother, Semiramis, holding the infant, Tammuz, very common uh, picture that you can find on the artifacts. Tammuz grew up in the spirit of his father, so that means he became a hunter and a warrior. And he ended up being killed by a wild beast out on one of his hunting parties, or so legend has it. And his mother, Semiramis, as the sole priestess of heaven and hell, as she would be known to be later, began to plead with the gods of the underworld, and she lamented for 40 days. And the Babylonians called her lament Lent. Okay. And then the gods released Tammuz after 40 days. So he was risen or he was released from the dead. And they call that, Babylonians called that, that time of lament where she, or lent, where she pleaded for her son to come back to life. They call that the doctrine of purgatory. That's been picked up by other religions. Right? We went, like I said, we went over some of this when we studied through Revelation. We'll go over maybe more next week when we step into the Tower of Babel. So Semiramis has many names in many different cultures. So when you study through all the cultures, what's strangely enough are all descendants of the sons of Noah, right? You'll see all these different names. One of the names that she had was Ishtar. Ishtar is a Chaldean word, and it's actually pronounced Easter. So anyway. This is just a few generations after Noah. This is the effect of, of one person, Nimrod, and his disobedience and rebelliousness against the word of God, and all these different kingdoms that he started that were all against God. And all this false religion and apostasy and everything else that went on. And the influence and the effect that had in all the surrounding cultures and even up until today. Right? And it started just a few generations after Noah. Right? Nimrod inspired the people to build the Tower of Babel. So it reached into heaven. It was a deliberate, direct, disobedient action. Right? Because God said, spread and multiply and fill the earth. And they all said, let's hunker down right here and build a tower. Right? So uh, it, it was organized hostility towards God is what it was. And it was Nimrod who began to inspire them to worship the stars, the beginning of astrology, and all those things began in ancient Babylon. And they spread out from there. 
So he built Nineveh, he built Kela. Nineveh was 200 miles north of Babylon. Like I said, these are pretty much all in uh, Iraq. Nineveh was later the capital of the great Assyrian Empire. Like I said, we know Nineveh through Jonah. Jonah would be sent there because of their wickedness. He didn't want to go there because he knew of their wickedness. And he's like, they don't deserve... They don't deserve any grace from God. This is a wicked, 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 wicked nation, right? If you want to wipe them out, go wipe them out. I'm not bringing any mercy to them, right? Obviously, he did, and they repented, but then later they got wiped out. So, but Nineveh was known for its great wealth, power, and prestige. The Assyrians were noted for their cruelty and their idolatry. The, all these, these nations here had to do with Nimrod. He, he started these kingdoms. Um, Kaula, which is an ancient Assyrian city situated south of, in northern Iraq, it's been found, it's been uh, excavated, um, and it was recently just destroyed again, or partially destroyed, um, by Islamic terrorists back in just the last few years. Um, This area in Iraq, um, this area in Iraq where Nimrod started all these cities and all these civilizations and these, and these kingdoms. What do they call this area? You guys know? They call it the cradle of civilization. They call it the cradle of civilization. Right? This is where civilization are first really grew and emerged after the flood. It's not all that far from you know, where Noah settled near, in Turkey there near Mount Ararat. So now you have the sons of Egypt. Ludum Anamim, Leabim, Neftuim, Pathrusim, Kasluhim, which is the Philistines, and Kephtorim. Uh, most of these all settled in Egypt. Okay, Philistines, we see there. Then you have the sons of Canaan. Now, interestingly enough about the sons of Canaan, you know, the Canaanites, is that they only actually give you two actual names of the sons. They give you Sidon and Heth. And then the rest of the names, they give you like the, the clan name, right? They give you the, the, the name of the people, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivitites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemurites, the Hamathites, Mosin, Mosin all of, almost all of these nations or these groups of people were in Judea, when Israel crossed in to the land that God had promised them, they had to wipe all these people out. Now, Heth is the ancestor of the Hittites. Uh, you can find that out in like Genesis 23, I think it is. And he ruled a great empire in Asia Minor for over 800 years. Now, the Hittites, did I put it up there? I did. So the Hittites can also be called Kittay, which can also be called Cathay. Now, Cathay is a historical name used for China. All right, so the Hittites could have been some of the uh, ancestors of the Chinese people that we know today. Now, uh, also, Sidon, or the Sinites there. Uh, The Sinites, the tribe of, I'm assuming, Sin, right? The tribe of Sin, the Sinites. Uh, You know, you have the Mount Sinai, possibly named after that tribe or those people. Possibly they named the mountain themselves. I don't know. Uh, there was an Assyrian god named Sin. 
might be related to this group of people as well. You have sinim in Isaiah 49. When you look at the word sinim, um, that's a reference to the people in the Far East. And many people believe that the Far East uh, descended from the Sinites. In China, if you study China, um, there's a couple books on this that you can read. When they study Chinese language, history, customs, etc., the study of Chinese language, history, customs, and politics is called Sinology. Right? The prefix Sino, S-I-N-O, is generally identified with the Chinese. And also they've found, studying Chinese history and going back, they've found many small pockets of Jewish communities in China dating back to the, the Tang Dynasty, which is somewhere like 600 AD, or something like that. And they've found artifacts in China that seem Hebrew or Semitic. And also studies of the Chinese language have shown that the ancient Chinese knew of the one true God. They have the whole history of creation and everything in their, uh, what do you call it, hieroglyphics and pictographs on, on their whatevers, whatever they drew them on, you know. Uh, they worshipped a god named Shangdi, whose, god, whose name meant something like the god of heavens or, or the heavenly god or the god high up or something like that. They have a name for a god who is one god, one true god. And it's early on in, in Chinese history. So you can see, I mean, we've talked, we have mentioned this before, but remember, all these descendants of the son of Noah came out with understanding the, the God, right? Noah taught his sons. His sons taught their kids. Yes, it probably got distorted and convoluted and twisted as it went on down the line through many of the different nations, but they had all, not all of them obviously did that. So they had all these stories. They knew, they knew of creation and the flood and all this passed out. You wonder why we have so many different things that when you look into the history of all these nations where we share all these stories, there's a story of a flood. There's a story of creation. There's a story. They may not all match up word for word or, you know, idea for idea, but yet they're all there. And you're like, where did, how come we have all these? Well, we have all these because we all just, they all descended from the same people who taught the same things. Right. And you can even see it in the Chinese history as well. So this is a large group of people. They covered a large area and what we would know today is Israel, around that area, Judea. Um, and if you put all of them on the map, right, this is kind of where they were. Some, like I said, are really easy. Put this in Libya, Egypt, Seba, Sudan, Cush, Ethiopia. Cush is also up in Saudi Arabia. You have Sheba and Dedan, Havilah. Nimrod's up there between Nineveh and Babylon. That's roughly where they were in Iraq. Sidon there next to, to Syria. Canaan, of course, outside. I could have moved it closer, but in the big map, I have Israel right there in between it. Heth and the Sinites over in China. You know, so Ham descendants far as we know, at least for these nations that are listed, that's the area that they hung out in. Then you have the sons of Shem. Now here we have Elam, Ashur, Arpachshad, that's the line that leads to Abraham, Lud, and Aram. So the Elam is the Elamites, Ashur is the Assyrians, Lud is the Lydians, Aram is the Arameans, Arameans, Aramaic language comes from Aram. That's the language they must have got when God confused languages. Uh, and you have the sons of Aram, Uz. Well, who comes from Uz? No. Job. 
Job. Job is from Uz, that's in Arabia. Hol, Gether, Mash. Then you have the sons of uh, Arpachshad. Now this is interesting because it, it doesn't, obviously we're not being told of all the sons. There's a specific line they want you to see here. So you have Arpachshad, who's the grandson of Shem. He has a son named Shelah. Shelah gave, has a son named Eber. Eber has two sons, Peleg and Joktan. Now Peleg is the line that leads to Abraham. Right? But they don't bother to give you any of Peleg's sons here in this list or what nations they were or anything like that. Now they do give you 13 sons of Joktan. Right? But they don't tell you anything uh, about Peleg, at least not in this list. But they do tell you one thing about Peleg that you can use. So Arpachshad, the father of Shelah. Shelah is the father of Eber. Eber is the word that the term Hebrew comes from. Okay? Uh, Abraham was called a Hebrew because he was of the children of Eber. Now, there's also this interesting legend. It's a 13th century Muslim historian who wrote this. He's, his name was Abdul Al-Fida. And he relates a story noting that the patriarch Eber, who's the, the, um, the great-grandson of Shem. Let's see. Yes. Grandson, great-grandson. Great-grandson of Shem. Great-great-grandson of Noah refused to help with building the Tower of Babel. So when God's confused the languages, his language wasn't confused. Right? When God scattered them all and confused the languages, he and his family alone retained what some people refer to as the original human language. Right? In Latin, that's called lingua, lingua humana. Right? Uh, the Hebrew language. So, Peleg, son of Eber. Peleg's name means division. And it tells us here in chapter 10 that during his time was when, in his days, that the earth was divided. Right? This is a reference to the Tower of Babel. This is a reference to, to chapter 11 when we, when we get in there. This is not a time when the continents broke apart or anything like that. Though some may say that. Uh, but it's really a, a reference to a, ge uh, a geographical and a linguistic division that happened between all the people. Because up until that time of the Tower of Babel, up until the time of Peleg, everyone spoke the same language and pretty much lived in the same area. They hadn't really gone out yet. They were forced out. And again, like I said, that's the line that Abraham comes from. Now, Jockton, they give us all his sons, right? These are the great, great, great grandsons of Shem. Almodad, Shalef, Hazarmaveth, Jera, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havanah, and Jobab. Jobab could very well be Job. Right? And there's also a couple repeating names there, of course, in families, as you see. Family names get passed down. Um, so all 13 of these sons probably settled in Arabia and their families. So, a lot of names, a lot of people. When you put all those names on a map, it looks kind of like this. I didn't put them all in. I'm not going to write 13 names in Saudi Arabia down there, just so you can see them all. But you can see that Shem, who, Noah there, 
near Ararat, but you can see that Shem's family, for the most part, and his descendants didn't stray too far from where Jerusalem or Israel is today. They're all in the surrounding area. So, in these verses, now let me just do this really quick. Here's all of them together. There's all three, Ham, Shem, Japheth, all the names. Some people take a map like this. I actually have, let me see, do I have it? Here we go. Here we go. This is color-coded. Japheth is the yellow up top. Shem is the red. Uh, Ham is the whatever that is, green, green, gray over there. Kind of showing what direction they went. Now, this map was done about 100 years ago. Um, and some people have different interpretations of it because they also some people think Ham's uh, descendants possibly were the ones who started, went over there to China first. But without a doubt, most people know that Japheth, the Gentile nations, Russia, Ham went into Africa and Egypt, without a doubt. But not just Ham, because you have uh, some of Shem's descendants in Arabia as well. Anyway, these are the inhabitants of the world after the flood. These are these 70 nations that are listed. And I think they picked that number specifically. I don't, I mean, they probably could have listed more people and told us more areas, right? But 70 is an important number in the Bible. You have 70 families listed here, 70 nations. Of course, the number of children, the number of the children of Israel that went into Egypt, as we'll see at the end of Genesis, was 70. Right, uh, Israel was led by seventy elders. Right, there's seventy members of the Sanhedrin. Man's life is seventy years. Babylonian captivity lasted seventy years. You have the seventy weeks of Daniel. Seventy is a big number. The whole thing is summed up by the at the end here in, in Genesis ten thirty two, which clearly, which just really simply tells us these are the families of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies by their nations and out of these nations were separated and out of these the nations were separated which is also a word that means divided or scattered on the earth after the flood now you're thinking well, that was great what does that all mean what do I take with that what do I do how does that help me right. there's a, a quote I read by, let me see if I can find it. I thought I wrote it down. By Martin Luther. Martin Luther wrote this about Genesis chapter 10. About this specific chapter. He said, Hence one must consider this chapter of Genesis a mirror in which to discern that we human beings are, namely, creatures so marred by sin that we have no knowledge of our own origin, not even of God himself. Our creator, our creator, unless the word of God reveals these sparks of divine light to us from afar. This knowledge, the Holy Scriptures reveal to us. Those who are without them, without this knowledge, live in error, uncertainty, and boundless ungodliness, for they have no knowledge about who they are and whence they came. And it's a real simple thing to me about understanding this and looking at this table of nations, but... And it comes down to a real basic understanding of, do you understand who you are and where you came from? You might understand who you are and where you came from 
you know, in a, uh, you know, family tree perspective. You may know where your family hailed from. You know, you may have done the DNA test and seen the breakdown of your European DNA or whatever it might be, right? It keeps switching. I was Irish and now I'm Scottish. I can't make up my mind. I don't know what I am. So you may know that. But do you know who you are and where you came from? See, the significance of this, of this table of nations, is that God, right, the most high God, gave the nations their inheritance. As it says in Deuteronomy, he divided mankind. He fixed the borders of the peoples, or it tells us in Acts 17, he established the bounds of their habitation. God did all that. Right? Jehovah, Yahweh, the Most High God. He's the God of creation. He's the God who created the whole earth. He's also the God of geography. He's also the God of history. God's the one behind all of this. The earth was created for us, not us for the earth. Right? That means we're not here to look at the, at, at the globe, look at the earth, look at the amazing things that we see as far as how it was created and, and all these different things and worship the earth. That's not why we're here. God created all that stuff for us. We are in rule and authority over all of that. And so what does that mean? That means God's in control of everything. Right? God's in control. What he promises, he fulfills. What we see in that, and we see that in what he fulfilled, just through Noah's three sons and the nations that descended from them. And he's not even done with that because the nations that descended from Noah's three sons still have a role to play in God's great plan of everything that's going on. Right? He has used them throughout history for his purposes. He is still using them today for his purposes. And he will continue to do so until he finishes and he fulfills what he promised. Right? Because God is a God of nations. I think we get lost in that sometimes. I think we get lost in that because it's so majestic. And it's so big. And we look at the earth and we look at us on it and we get, we get lost in that feeling insignificant. And I don't, I don't know that that's wrong. I, I understand the idea of insignificance, especially when you look at the earth and everyone that's on it and how big and glorious it is and the fact that God created all this. But we think he must not be interested in us, really. Why would the God who created all this, why would the God who created the earth, why would the God who put the nations in their place, who defined the borders, who scattered the people to start the world as, you know, and fill the nations as we know it, why would he be interested in just one of us? Right? Why? Why would he be interested? We're just insignificant. We're nobody. We don't, we don't, we're not, you know, we're not anything special. There's nothing special about us. Right? But there is. And the thing that's special is that God loves you. And God loves all the nations. And everybody in all the nations. Because despite all our external and cultural and linguistic differences, right, guess what? Like it or not, we're all family. 
We're all of one blood. We all descend from Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and through that, Adam and Eve. Right? There's no race or people that can complain to be superior over any other race or people. Because we've all come from the same. Right? And if we truly understand, if we truly understand that, if we truly understand where we came from and who we serve, God, the creator of all this, then we would understand that. Right? That we are not better than anybody else. We're here together. However, there are many people today, many races today, many nations today who do think that. Right? Who do think that they're greater than everyone else. They do think that. I mean, Hitler thought that during World War II. It wasn't that he just thought that Jews were, were insignificant. He thought they were subhuman. Right? He thought that means, that means they weren't human at all. He didn't think they were human at all. People today don't think babies are human in the womb. But God thinks they're all special. God wants all of them to come to the saving knowledge right, of Christ. He wants them all to understand the truth concerning Jesus, the truth about the gospel and who we are in Jesus. Our failings today in not understanding the truth concerning the sanctity of human life and concerning how we treat and relate to others of different races or different nations or whatever, those failings come from our understanding of who God is. Our understanding of, uh, of God right, and of his creation and of his purpose. I watched an interview with an Israeli general. He served 30 years in the IDF. He's in the, you know, he's somewhat retired from that now. He serves in the something else, the IDLF or the something like that. It's the, it's kind of like, you know, if you retire from the military here, you can serve in the core, the whatever it's called. Anyway, like the reserves or something like that. So anyway, his family traces back 15 generations in Israel. They still live in Israel today. And it was a really interesting interview. Um, oh, I forget the pastor who did it. It was uh, Tom Hughes. Anyway, I can't remember. Uh, he said a couple of things that struck me. He said one thing. One thing he said was that there's no national, there's no national security without nationalism, which is true. Right? If you get everyone to quit caring about the nation in which you live then they're less likely to defend that nation, to stand up for its longstanding principles and beliefs, and the nation becomes easier to take over and eventually easier to destroy, etc. That's what we're seeing happen here in the United States. Now, he also said this. He said, many Jews outside of Israel today are like this. They look at Israel, they look at Jerusalem, and they see nothing special. And therefore, with that, they think they're nothing special either. I don't see anything special over here in Israel. I don't see any reason why I should be in Israel. I'm not special either because Israel's not special. Right? They don't understand who they are and where they came from. They, not, they don't understand. And that under, misunderstanding, that, that lack of knowledge concerning that comes from them not understanding God and God's purpose for them. Right? But what, they don't, what they're not seeing is that God has a purpose for the nations. And guess what? Who's, who's like center stage of that? Israel is, right? Israel is center stage of that whole entire thing. 
right? All eyes on Israel. You want to know what's going on prophetically in the world? Watch Israel. All eyes on Israel. They are God's chosen nation. They are God's chosen people. And, I, and I, to me, it baffles the mind. How does any Jew not see that? But I'm, I'm not a Jew. So, well, I might be, but, but it's a very small percentage, right? According to my DNA. But I think, how do they, how do they not see that? But then I thought, well, you know, how do you, or how does someone you know, forget about God's purpose for your life? Right? How do you forget about God's faithfulness? How do you forget about God's love for you? And it comes back to that question, do you understand who you are and from where you came? Because it's easiest for, for us to forget those things when we lose our focus and take our eyes off God. But when we study things, even things like this, the table of nations, and we can see God's hand in building up all these nations that are so powerful and some so prominent they're still around today. Sometimes it's easy for us to get lost in that and think, well, we're nothing special. It's just wrong, though. It's just not true. Because you were created by God. You are called by God. Through Christ, you're a child of God. You've been created to serve and worship and love God, not out of obligation, but because of his great love for you. His great love for us. And in Christ and through the blood of Christ, we're all part of, guess what? We're all part of one body. All of us. Yes, we're all related outside of that too, through the sons of Noah, right? We're all cousins of cousins of cousins of cousins of cousins. We all married cousins of cousins of cousins of cousins of cousins. I mean, if we could trace it back, if we could see that, we would find that out. We're all part of one body through the blood of Christ, right? There's one spirit and we're called to one hope. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, as it tells us. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We belong to God. We belong to God. His desire is for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All people from every nation. We know this because, and it's going to be that way because in Revelation 7, 9, it tells us, right? John, when he was up in heaven, he says, and they looked and behold, a great multitude and no one could number from every nation. Where are they from? From just one nation? No. No. No, they're from every nation, right? They're from all tribes, all people, all languages, standing before the throne, standing before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. We know that that's what God wants. He, he wants the whole earth to worship Him. Right? It, it tells us in Psalm 66, shout for joy to God, all the earth. That's what God wants, right? All the earth He wants to worship him and sing praises to him, sing praises to his name. He wants you to understand that, that he's just as interested in everything in the whole big global picture as he is in just one single person. He's the God of nations. He's controlling all of this and how it unfolds. And he's also your God. He's the God of you. He's just as interested in all this 
as he is you. You and this little one person on the face of, the, on the face of this magnificent earth. Don't lose sight of that. And everything that's going on and all the craziness and confusion and, and mess that we're in and all the noise that's out there, it's easy for us to lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that, right? Don't be uncertain about that. Be certain about that. As Job said, right? As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. We can have that type of certainty as well. Don't lose your focus. Don't take your eyes off God. Don't think he's not interested in me. He has so much to take care of. (laughs) He's not interested in me. It's actually just the opposite. He is interested in you. And yes, he has a lot he takes care of. And it makes no difference. Because he can handle it. And he's interested in that relationship. That relationship with you. Just as much as he is interested in all the nations. And everything else that's going on.